0: All right, good morning, everybody. Good. This morning, we're going to be in Joshua 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Joshua 7. Today, after second service at 2 o'clock, we'll be out at Mazingo Beach doing baptisms. So I know some of you have come up and let me know that you're going to be out there. Um, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to be baptized, we'll be glad to baptize you. You don't have to have a big conversation with me, um, it's between you and God. Um, But we'll be out there at Mazingo Beach at 7 or at 2 o'clock. If you don't know where that is, if you're, you know, um, you need directions or you need to just come afterwards and talk to me, I'll let you know how to get out there. Um, Should have plenty of time to get um, swimsuit on or T-shirt or whatever and shoes, wear shoes if you're getting baptized out there. So um, this morning we'll be in Joshua 7. Um, Let's pray before we get started. God, we thank you for your word. It is uh, the sword of the Spirit. It's able to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. It's able to discern our hearts, and we ask for that this morning. Would you discern our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. As we march our way through the scriptures, our next chapter, 7, is the defeated Ai, is what it's titled. It could also be the sin of Achan, whichever you want to, both are related. Um, Last week, the nation of Israel did a great job. They uh, obeyed the Lord. They crossed over the Jordan. They've left their 12 stones in a pile Uh, leaving their unbelief behind. And that's a memorial to that. Um, They go to Jericho and they do exactly what God asked them to do, march around. That's all you need to do. And he would bring the walls down. And of course he did. Now they're moving on to the next town. It's a small town. It's called Ai. um, And they make a a tactical error. Very strategic mistake. Um, And they don't mean to, but they do. Now as we read about the nation of Israel. I think it's important to remember as we've seen the typology here, we see the nation of Israel coming out of the world, Egypt, going through the Red Sea, baptism, crossing over the Jordan, baptism of the Holy Spirit and begin to conquer their enemies by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that taking place. We see that typology. It's important to remember as we talk about Joshua, or we're going to talk about Achan later on. um, Our tendency is to say, who am I? Which one of these two guys am I? Am I Achan or am I Joshua? And, and, And We're both really. Um, The nation of Israel, hopefully you know this. If you don't, you'll learn something today, Um, is a person. Israel is a man named Jacob who got his name changed by God to Israel. Jacob, governing himself, the word means deceiver. But his new name, Israel, means governed by God. And you'll see the nation of Israel toggle between Jacob and Israel, back and forth. Sometimes they're governing themselves, sometimes they're governed by God. And so likewise, when we see this and we're watching this, all unfold as we learn, and how do I apply this to my life? Well, as a Christian, we have our Joshua moments. Gung-ho for the Lord. We love God. We want to do battle for him. We want to have victory, but we also have our Achan moments. We're looking out for our own interests at times. And so when we see what happens to Achan here, keep that in mind. Although it is a man, it is a historical event, it is part of us that needs to die. Okay? So verse one, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebda, or Zabda, uh, the son of um, Zerah, the tribe of, uh, the tribe of Judah, took the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. They did great last week, and he told them, God said, one thing I don't want you to do, I don't want you to take stuff from the city. This city, this stuff is accursed, and it's dedicated, it's set apart, it's for him, for God. They're going to get other opportunities to take stuff for themselves. Um, when they left Egypt, they got to take a bunch of stuff. Um, remember that. These, they're not poor. They may have been slaves for 400 years, but when they left Egypt, they took everything with them, if you remember the story. Gold and everything. To the point where they were building the tabernacle, this place that God wanted them to build for a place of worship, a place to meet. Moses had to say, stop bringing stuff. There's too much stuff. And so they had a lot. So they don't need anything. And so God says, for this city, for Jericho, I want this first battle to be dedicated to me. And all this stuff also. Well, you got a million plus people here. It's hard to see who took what. And one of the guys took something. Achan. He took something that he wasn't supposed to take. Now, the plot thickens. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai next town, which is beside Beth-Avin, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two, 3,000 men go up and attack, attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, 36 Israelis, for they chased them from before the gate as far as uh, Shabaram and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. What was their mistake? What did they do wrong? Joshua sent in spies like he did before to Jericho. Normal. The difference was what the spies brought back. The spies for Jericho brought back what the heart of the people were like. Remember what they said about them? Their hearts are melting like wax. They're like water. They're all defeated already. We haven't even gone in and they're already defeated. That's what the Jericho spies brought back. They looked at the heart of the people what did these spies bring back? They brought back the same kind of report that the original 12 spies brought back to Moses. If you remember the story, Moses sent over 12 spies, Joshua being one of them, Caleb being the other. 10 of the spies came back and said, we can't do nothing. These guys are too big. They're too powerful. There's no way. They looked at the circumstances. They looked at the size, the scope. They measured their army, not even considering God. Of course, Josh and Caleb said, yeah, we saw the same thing, but this is nothing for God. Let's go. And they walk by faith. So the two spies to Jericho matched Caleb and Joshua. But these other two, these spies that came back from Ai, they're looking at the outward. Oh, there's not very many people. We don't need to bring that many guys. Don't bring two, 3,000 people. The difference being is they're not getting wisdom from God. They're getting wisdom from men. This is man's opinion, his assessment of the situation. And so we don't need that many people. Let's go. And you know what? They get beat. They shouldn't have got beat. It's probably a ten to one ratio. It's probably three hundred plus guys in this little town of Ai, and they got run out of town by three hundred guys, and thirty six died. That's their first casualties. Shouldn't have been any casualties, but that was their first casualties. So Joshua doesn't know what's happening. He doesn't know why. Here's what he says: Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, "Alas, Lord God." Why have you brought uh, this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? He's mad. Joshua's mad at God. This is so not like Joshua, is it? Not who he is. He doesn't know what's going on. doesn't understand it. What did I do wrong? It's not what he's asking. He should have. It should have been the first thing he prayed about. What did I do wrong? Because of the two people in the room, between God and Joshua, guess who's going to be wrong? It's not going to be God. This is a learning lesson for us. There is no excuse to be mad at God, ever. Ever. Some will tell you that. Some will come alongside, and even I will at times, because God's got broad shoulders, and he'll permit you to be mad at him. He can handle it but it's never okay to be mad at God because he's never, ever wrong, ever. You may not understand it. We may not understand the impact or the reasoning or the whys or the hows or the the timing of the whole matter, but we have to go back on what we do know about God when we don't know some things about God. What we do know is he's always right. He's always fair. He's always loving. He's always looking out for our best interests. He's conforming us into his image. He's always doing what's necessary for us as a loving father would for his own kids. And I have to fall back on that. We do too. Joshua should have. His first prayer should have been, what we do? Because your word says this, 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 and this was going to happen, and it didn't. And you never break your word. What did we do wrong? But that's not his prayer. His prayer is, how in the world are you going to get out of this? Why do we even follow him? Mean, this is what's going to happen all the time. What's the point? He's mad. He's not the first person to be mad. David got mad at God. It's okay. Great men of God get mad at God at times. And they're wrong every time, but it happens. Um, it was when they brought back the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. This is much later on in the story. The nation of Israel has this Ark, the Ark we're talking about right here, that they're falling before, and they lose it in battle for the, same very, for the very same reasons they didn't inquire of God before they went into battle. So they lost it in battle. It's been captive, this chair of God, this throne of God has been captive for years. And they go back to get it and bring it back to Jerusalem. So it's a huge deal. Here's what they do. It says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. And Uzzah and Ahio the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums and on cymbals. Huge procession. Big pomp and circumstance here. Just amazing scene. And when they came near Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand of the Ark of of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the Ark of God. And David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of that place, Perez Uzzah to this day. David gets mad. Uzzah and this Ohio are his two strongest guys. He's got this 30,000 group of people, music, instruments, praising God. And they're bringing out the ark of God and all of a sudden God strikes him down and David gets mad. Why did you strike him down? What's the point? The story goes on to explain, that's not how I told you to carry that ark. When did I ever say to put it on a new cart? When did I ever say it was supposed to be carried? By? It's got handles for a reason. I want six priests carrying it. The hands of the people need to be on that thing. I want them carrying it that way, and that's why he did it. Would have never stumbled, never would have had to reach out and grab it, but you did it your way, and it failed. And that's the key to this story. These guys are doing it their way. These are great men of God. Joshua and David, great men of God, but they're doing it their way. They're not inquiring of God first. They should have prayed before they went to Ai, just like they prayed before they went to Jericho. God, here's another town, 300 people, sent the spies in. Looks like it's a no-brainer, but... How do you want to handle this? And he would have stopped them. He would have told them their problem, but they didn't ask. They went on their own instincts and their own, they were on autopilot. And you know, we can do that. Sometimes we think, well, how could it possibly be wrong to have an outreach in the park? Tell people about Jesus. It's just what you do. We don't need to pray about it. Let's just get it done. And then nobody comes. And you cry out to God, God, why didn't you join it? Why didn't you bless our efforts? There's a problem. You didn't pray beforehand. You didn't talk to me about it for him. If you'd asked me beforehand, I would have told you why now wasn't the time, this wasn't the place, or you're not in the right place in your heart if you'd have prayed. So he prays this prayer, and we see it very much like David's difficulty or his anger against God. And Joshua's prayer His, how are you going to make this up? So here's what God says back to him. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. And there's an exclamation point there. But because I have a mic on, I'm not going to read it like it's written. I'd like to. Get up. He's not happy. Get off your face. That's what he says. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived They've also put it among their own stuff. It's the first time we see God use the word stuff. Gotta love it. That's what he thinks about our things. My stuff's mixed up with your stuff, it needs to get separated. It's in your stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they have come, uh, because. They have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. They were doing it their own way. They didn't seek God. They didn't ask his opinion. They just went on. Past experience. We can do that as Christians. When we first got saved, we prayed about everything. Oh God, what book should I read next? What verses for today? Oh God, who should I marry? Who shouldn't I marry? What should I, you know, your prayers were out there. And after you got some experience under your belt, been walking this walk for a while, eh, you know, I mean, obviously we're going to do this. But we don't seek God anymore. We don't ask him on these things. Like I said before, we're not all Joshuas, we're not all Akins, but there's parts of us that need to get fixed by God. And as someone who's like Jacob or Israel could go either way any any day, I need to ask God, is there any aching in my heart? Is there any sin in my heart? Is there anything that would prevent me from actually accomplishing your will today, God? What is your will today, God? See, because Mondays are Mondays, Tuesdays are Tuesdays, and we have routines. And for the most part, those days go like they're supposed to. Mondays I wake up, I have breakfast with the kids, because Sundays are kind of a long day for me. But then I go to the bank, I make, uh, like, well... I don't do the deposit anymore, but I used to, and I I make other deposits. Um, I do the books. uh, I answer phone calls. I may have a counseling session or two. That's what I do. And a lot of you guys have the same routine. And if I get caught up in that routine, and I don't pray before I put one foot on the carpet when I get out of bed and ask God, now, today is Monday. Here's what I normally do, God, but have your way. Is there anything I need to know about? get prayed up before the day begins. Because before long, I find myself at Casey's grabbing what I normally grab, a piece of pizza or something that my flesh is saying, get some pizza or a donut. And I go there and I grab some. And someone says, you know what? I was wondering about Jesus. And I'm blindsided. As a pastor, I'm blindsided. This isn't Wednesday. We're not at church. This isn't a counseling session. Someone's asking me about Jesus and I'm not, I mean, I can come up with something pretty quick, but it catches you off guard. I wanted my donut. This was me time. You know? You want to talk about God? I'm off the clock. Not really. I'm kidding. Never (laughs) off the clock. But boy, you're not prayed up in the morning. You can find yourself feeling off the clock. You got to ask God. You got to seek Him. I'm going to pick out of 120 verses that I found seven. We got time. Let me read them to you. It's all about God's way. And they're all, over the, they're all over the Bible. They're from everywhere. You won't be able to keep up. But you can try to keep up if you want to. You call these sword drills. Turn your Bible to this page. Okay, ready? Isaiah 35.8. Not a page. Okay, all right, all right. A highway will be there, a roadway. And it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way and fools will not wander on it. There's a path. There's a specific road for us as Christians to walk on. Not everybody gets there, and we don't get to walk any way we want to. We walk the way he wants to, and that'll be a common theme here. First John, clear to the end. Chapter 2, verse 6. The one who says he abides in him, Jesus, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. There's a way to walk. There's a place to walk, and it's not open to discussion. That's where we walk. That's how we walk. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. I want you to command your children. Teach them how to walk, which way to walk. It's not open to discussion. Exodus 18, 20. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and uh, the work that they are to do. There's a specific way to walk. Psalm 27:11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Psalm 1, verses one through two. How blessed is the man who, walk, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. First Kings chapter eight, verses 35 through 36. When the heavens are shut up, and this is our hope, when we aren't walking where we're supposed to be walking, when the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, and they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants and of your people Israel. Indeed, teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have gained given uh, your people for an inheritance. There's a way to walk. There's a way we need to pray and to seek God and to get right with him, to get back on that path. These stories that we read, these actual historical people that are going—he's not writing this down so we can say, "Yep, they should have done that, should have done this." Our lives are supposed to be just like theirs. Just as much it was Joshua's fault for not praying about whether to go up to Ai yet or deal with it properly, it's just as much our fault when we don't pray about things before we go do them. We we need to ask God. It's not automatic. This is a terrible Sunday to bring this up, but leave it to me to bring it up. We just had move-in day up at the college, right? Some of you are probably visiting, so parents don't throw rocks at me right now. But did you pray about your kids going to college, or is it just kind of an automatic thing? Well, it's just the next step. I mean, you know, high school, college, it's what you do. Not everybody. Did you pray about it? Did God give you direction to do that? Did you look at AI and say, yeah, I mean, it's a no-brainer. We just go do it, or were you supposed to take some time first? Think about it. Pray about it. Did the kid need to mature a little bit more? A lot of kids lose their faith in college. A lot of kids. And I don't know. I'm not saying that's avoidable, but I think it could decrease if we pray about things first. It's not automatic. Nothing is automatic. My job is not automatic. Well, it's more money. Why wouldn't I take that job? I don't know. Because you might have a sin of aching in your heart. Maybe the secretary's error is way too cute for you, and you'll find out that she is too cute to resist, and all of a sudden you find yourself with her and you lose your family over it. Is it worth the money then? I mean, things come up. We don't know about aching in our hearts until we ask God about it. We're, we don't know when we're in error, we don't know when we're sin. Joshua, it's not his fault necessarily. How could he possibly keep track of a million plus people and what they took or didn't take from Jericho? Nobody faults him for that. What we do fault him for is not asking God, hey, I can't see everybody's heart. Would you search it and know them and find out where they stand? Because I don't want to go into AI and not have you with us. College may be for you. That next job may be for you. She may be for you. He may be for you if you're thinking about marriage. But maybe not. And you don't know well, the dates have gone okay so far. I mean, so far, I like what I see, you know. But did you pray about it? Did God say, yeah, this is the one, or this isn't the one? Sometimes we can live our lives like that, thinking that these moments are walking in the Spirit, like Joshua or David or any of these people is for them, but it's not necessarily for us. It doesn't transmit over. It does. We're to walk this way. We're to seek the Lord, because there is a way we're supposed to walk. And so... God says, look, you got a problem. Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel sinned. Here's what you've done. Here's why you got defeated. If you had prayed before you went, we could have taken care of this. He didn't say that, but it would have happened. Oh, God, can we go up to Ai? No, you've got sin in the camp. Great. Where is it? Well, here's how we're going to do it. And he tells them what they're supposed to do now. Here's how they're going to get rid of the sin afterwards. Verse 13, get up. Second time he said that to them. Sanctify the people and stay and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel. There is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes. So all 12 tribes are going to be there, so we have a million plus people standing out there in front of Joshua. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families. So that tribe's going to step forward whichever tribe he picks. And then he's going to go by family. The Lord's going to take out their households and divide them up by households. He's going to pick one. And then he's going to take out that one household, that one family. He's going to take out one man. So he's going to just work his way down until he finds out who it is. He's done a disgraceful thing. He's going to find out. Verse 16, So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel to their tribes, or by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. So they all stepped forward and the eleven tri- tribes breathed a sigh of relief. Awkward. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of uh, Zerhidus, and he brought the family of Zerhidus, a man by man, of the uh, He was taking families out. Then he brought uh, his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. So there's Achan standing out there in the middle, and everybody's taking two steps back now. Awkward. Now, as we read about this, this is a person and a family, and it's going to be hard to read. But keep in mind, as we apply this to our lives, Achan is a part of every one of us, and Achan needs to die. Has to. That's the point. This is, from the beginning, by God's design, everything from Moses all the way through is a typology of us. God even said so. You can't smite the rock twice, he tells Moses, because the rock gets smitten once. Later on, we discover that rock is Christ in the New Testament. Christ gets smitten once. He doesn't get smitten over and over and over every time we need water. Once, after that, you speak to the rock. So this has always been a type. So when we see what happens to Achan, as bad as you may feel for the guy and his family, this is what we need to do with Achan in our own lives. Whatever that sin is, whatever that self-serving part of our lives is. So Joshua says to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now, what you have done, do not hide it from me. The first time I read this, I've taught through the Bible several times. The first time I read this, I'm like, oh, good, there's hope. You know? Come on, dude, you've got you to fess up now or it's going to get bad. No, it's going to get bad anyway, I'm warning you. Spoiler alert. He doesn't get out of this. Joshua wants it confessed because it needs to be confessed. Guys, as Christians, we need to confess our sin before the Lord. It's important. I'm not saying that you're not going to be forgiven for your sin. I'm saying for you to get rid of that sin, for Achan to die, it's important to confess that sin. And you don't have to do it to anybody else. Don't let anybody mislead you. You, don't, you talk to Jesus only. That's who you talk to. And he's easy to confess to because he knows it already. You're, nothing's hidden from him. But there's something about saying it out loud. And this is my own thing. There's something about saying it out loud. It's one thing to do this. Oh, God. All right, that's one thing. It's one thing to say it out loud, and your own ears hear your own voice, say it. When you say, "God, this is my sin, and I know it's sin. And when I did this, I knew I mean, you warned me ahead of time. I mean, go through it out loud. Let your own ears hear it. it makes a difference. It's just a, some advice from me. Take a walk. Get by yourself. It doesn't need to be in the hearing of everybody. Go for a walk out here, God. 30 plus acres out here. Go walk. Take a walk on the path out there and talk to God out loud and let him hear you. Raccoons and squirrels aren't going to tell anybody about it. And say, God, here's my sin. I know it's sin. Say it out loud. It helps. It helps. Confess it. Say it. Not because it won't be forgiven. If you don't, don't misunderstand me, but because you can't get rid of it unless you acknowledge it as sin and for what it is. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils of a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them and there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. These guys aren't poor. He didn't need it. He just wanted it. He just wanted it. There's a progression there. If you saw it, verse 21 shows us the steps to falling into sin or walking into sin headlong. You really don't fall into it. First thing he did was he saw. Second thing he did was he coveted. And finally he took. Those are the steps, always. I wonder how many times he walked, back that, back, walked past that Babylonian garment. They're in the town. You know, they're swording everybody, <laughs> spearing everybody. And they're going through, yeah, we won. It's a nice garment, you know. Maybe walk by it again later on move it out of the way. It's kind of in the way, you know, touch it. Later on, he's holding it up. It's about my size, you know. You get closer and closer. We know he knew he wasn't supposed to take it because he coveted. Otherwise, he would have said, I saw and I took. No, I saw, I coveted, and I took, and he hid it. He knew absolutely for sure he was not supposed to take it. There's no misunderstanding here. This is not for me. This is God's. If I take it, it's stealing from him. That's why it's called theft. But also, it's an accursed thing. It was meant to be set apart for the Lord. I can't touch this thing. He knew it. How many times did he walk by it? Folks, there is sin waiting for us everywhere. God, Satan has traps everywhere for us. Understand that. And they're traps. And as Christians, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We know they're traps. You know they're a trap. You know you're not supposed to touch it. I don't know what it is that God's delivered you from or you've gotten rid of in your life, whatever sin it was. You know you're not supposed to be near that stuff or that thing or her or him or whatever it is. And there we are walking by it and how many times do we walk by it before we finally all this guy had to do was go to a different room go to a different building it's all rubble anyway just walk away but he finds himself circling this thing I saw I coveted and I took so he confesses it guys that's a common theme um, let me read a few scriptures for you In James chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The temptation happens. There it is. Mm. It appeals to the flesh. It's what you do afterward that's what's important. That's why we pray God deliver us from temptation. Temptation is there. Jesus was tempted. He even says so three times in the wilderness. Remember the story. And each time he answered with scripture and walked away. Temptation isn't the problem. It's when we get drawn away by our desires. When we let the flesh win. When we let the aching in our life rise up and go ahead and put it. And then we bury it in a dark hole. No one knows it's there. Guys, nobody in Israel knew this guy had what he had. He had done a good job. It was covered. It was concealed. And how can we know? I have no idea what kind of dirt holes you have in your tent, and nor do you know how many dirt holes I have in my tent. You just don't. But God does. We can't hide anything from him. And thank goodness, right? Who wants to worship a God that you can hide stuff from? You spend your whole life hiding who you are in certain areas of your life from everybody around you, but God, no way. He knows everything. And then you find out He still loves you. He still has grace and mercy for you. You know everything about me? I know everything about you. Nothing is hidden from me. Nothing is concealed. And you still died for me on this cross. Still for me. Still love me. You never leave me or forsake me. Yep. That's a God that you can worship. You can worship so here's what happens to Achan. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver under it. you got to give it to him. At least he confessed completely, right? He got right. Didn't hide anything from him. It was just like he said it was. And they took, it from, took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, brought it out in the open. And laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the sons of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And that's the hard part to read, because this is a real guy and his family. But if you remember the typology, you understand this is what God wants us to do with this aching in our lives. Do not make deals with it. It has to be utterly destroyed, completely wiped out. Matthew tells us, or Jesus tells us, um, but Matthew writes about it in chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, how to avoid this, since our eyes are the first part that causes us to sin. That's the first step as we see. The lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore your eye is good. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And therefore, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? It's what I see. It's what I'm watching. It's what I'm looking at. This morning, we're in the right place. We're reading God's Word. It's, it's flooding us. It's washing us from the inside out. We're, we're being filled with it. There's nothing wrong with what we're reading today. Just flooding us. And it's cleansing us. But when I take my eyes off this and I look to something else that's sinful, it's the same thing's happening, but different. I mean, it's darkening me. It's tainting me. It's polluting me. We've got to stop looking. You just have to. And you kill it with a vengeance. You kill it on purpose. You kill it for God in your life. Because you know with the sin of Achan in your life, you can't do what you could do without it. It's a hindrance. It's a chink in your armor. And don't you want to know if you've got a chink in your armor? I do. How many of those movies have you seen and read a story about where the dragon has one scale missing? And if you could just get the arrow into that one scale, then the whole thing, otherwise he's undefeatable. This is an amazing creature. There's no way. He just breaks everything off. There's no way to fight this thing, but there's one scale missing. And what happens in the story? That's where you get him. Shoot the scale. Satan's not stupid. Satan's not omniscient and he's not omnipresent and omnipotent. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know what's going on in your head. Don't let anybody tell you that. He's not placing thoughts in your head. There's no important scripture that ever shows you where Satan, he throws out bait and people take the bait. He can only see what happens externally. God's omniscient. God's omnipresent. God's omnipotent. He can do those things, not Satan. What am I looking at? All Satan can do is put stuff in front of your eyes to see what captures your attention. Oh, that worked. I didn't think that was his thing, but that's his thing. Or, hey, that worked. I didn't think she was into that, but she is. Now we're leading her away. And that's all he can do is throw out bait. You know what your bait is. You know what you go after every single time. Avoid it. Stay away from it. Oh, it's been a while. I think I can handle it now. Mm, be careful. Is it necessary? You to be, do you have to be around it? Um, I don't think it's worth it, personally. I don't think it's necessary to walk the edge with God. How close to it can I get before I fall? I don't want to know. I don't want to step any further away from Jesus than absolutely necessary. I want to be right at his feet. How far away from Christ can I get and still be saved? You know. All he had to do was walk away from it. That's all we have to do, steer clear of it. Here's what happens, another pile of stones, chapter verse 26, then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. In two chapters, we have two piles of stones. The first chapter last week, pile of stones, was the 12 stones that they grabbed from the midst of the Jordan River, showing a memorial to their death of unbelief, we believe, that's all this is too. It's another pile of stones, not as not as victorious, but still in a way victorious. The nation of Israel believed God so much that they took out the sin in their lives. And there's another pile of stones. We can have those piles of stones in our lives. Piles of stones where we actually did right in the sight of God and we actually obeyed Him and did what we were supposed to do. Yes. Then there's another pile of stones that we can have where we didn't do right, but we got right with God. And we left another pile of stones. It's just as equally important to walk by and look, yep, that's when I didn't pray. And it got me into trouble and it cost us 36 men, but it's dead now. You know? What's the sin of bacon in your life? What is it? The Holy Spirit is always at work. His word always goes out and accomplishes what it was set to go out to. Nobody has to name it out loud. Like, if you can, yeah, microphone, come on up and tell me what no. That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Oh. <laughs> out the door. I'd be with you. But God has brought things to some people's minds this morning. This is my aching. And it's uncomfortable. But nobody knows it but you. And it's between you and God. And God's brought it up. What are you going to do with that now that He showed that to you? What is it? Is it going to be dead today? Are you going to pile rocks on top of it? Are you going to leave it behind? That's what we're called to. Because I tell you what, you have a chink in your armor. And you're vulnerable in that area. And until you deal with it, it's always going to be a soft spot. It's going to be a target. And you'll know it. You feel it. And whenever you're down, whenever you're lowest, that's what's going to get pressed. That's what's going to get pushed. Be careful. We don't hear these things because it's the next chapter. Although we do go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Scriptures. We're going to go all the way to Revelation and start in Genesis again and keep going. It's no coincidence that you're here today hearing chapter 7 of Joshua today. There's no coincidence. It's because it was for you and God's trying to speak to you. You're about to go to battle. You need to pray before you go. You need to find out what it is that needs to be taken care of before you go, and you need to find out what God wants you to do. And then, by all means, go to battle, but make sure you pray first, not after. Seek the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so true. It's so um, applicable, God, to us. We're no different than Joshua, than David, than Achan, than any of these guys. Israel, Jacob, none of these guys. We're, we're the same. We're walking with you by faith. God, help us to walk by faith to the point where we pray and we seek you and ask you, should I go this way? Or should I go that way? Should I take this job or that job? Should I marry her or what? Should I wait? Should I go forward? Should I step back? God, we don't want to make a move without you, but we don't want to hesitate. We don't want to lag behind you either. We want to stay right in time with you. So God, lead us. And show us whenever we get out in front of you, we never want to be in front of you. God, we want to learn from this. These things are written for our admonition, your word says. And so we take heed. We don't want to make the same mistakes Joshua or David made by presuming to know what you want to do. God, this morning we want to stop and pause. Our lives are not our own. We sang several songs this morning declaring that. Our lives are not our own anymore. We've given them to you. So God, help us to live that way practically. We've heard it. Now, Lord, help us to be doers. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.